Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents here on Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna and I am taking you through to 9.30 this morning. Asia Pacific Currents this morning, we've got a very special story for you in the second part of the program. Uh, I have the good fortune of attending the Marxism Conference this year. It's an annual conference that is held over Easter and organised by Socialist Alternative here in Melbourne, Victoria. One of the guest speakers who has actually been quite amazing is a young woman by the name of Farah Kubesi. She's a Lebanese activist from an organisation called Socialist Forum. Um, and she uh, did a speech, She well, she did a, spoke on a panel last night um, talking about the situation in Syria. So I'm going to bring you that talk. Of course, a special thank you to my comrades on Solidarity Breakfast, which you've just been listening to. And I have a feeling they've run a story, um, a a speech by Farah as well, or an interview. So you'll be getting a bit of her over the coming weeks on the program. Of course, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web or the w's.aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter as well. So find us on those social media uh, platforms so that you can find out more about what's happening across the Asia Pacific region. I'm going to go to some community announcements now and then we'll be back with news from around the region. Ladies and gentlemen, this panel is now on air. In July 1976, from an old warehouse in High Street, Armadale, 3CR Community Radio hit the airwaves, heralding 40 years of independent, community-owned and controlled radio. This will be the first station owned and operated by a cooperative of community organisations on a Melbourne-wide basis. This is 3CR. As the status quo of old media is challenged, as publications come and go, in a country with the highest concentration of media ownership in the world, 3CR continues to broadcast radical, insightful radio 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're not talking about land rights, we're talking about sovereignty. That's why it's important for us to be at the 10 Embassy. From the protests against the Franklin River Dam to the 1998 waterfront dispute, from the east-west tunnel picket to the Aboriginal 10 Embassy, the history of 3CR is dynamic and passionate and ongoing. I was born here. I will die here. I am not moving. So as we celebrate 40 years in 2016, we ask you, our volunteers, listeners and supporters, to join in in saying... Happy birthday, 3CR! Hi, this is Mitchell from Cut Copy, and you're listening to 3CR. Please support Community Radio. Subscribe now. You are indeed... 
Excuse me, you are indeed listening to 3CR and this is Asia Pacific Currents. Time now for news from around the region. And to kick off the um, the news this week, a bit of a roundup of all of the refugee um, activities that happen over the Palm Sunday weekend. And many of you might not have realised that in fact it was a World Day of Action going by the hashtag M19, that is March 19. Anti-racist activists right across the world took to the streets in their thousands to oppose racism and fascism and to stand in support of refugees. The International Day, declared M19, was observed right across the globe over the weekend of March 19 to 21. In Australia, the annual Palm Sunday March for Refugees was marked with thousands of protesters in the streets of Melbourne and Sydney and other capital cities in the country. Racism divides us as workers and only serves the boss's interests. We must oppose these divisions and stand united as workers internationally. Open the borders, free the refugees and let them stay. Moving now to Malaysia. The Malaysian police have shut down a Marxism course organised by the Socialist Party of Malaysia. Of course, as many listeners know, AAWL uh, has a strong solidarity relationship with the Socialist Party of Malaysia. This is a new escalation in Malaysia uh, and, and demonstrates the state of repression there is definitely increasing. The police cited reasons of public safety and violence as the reasons to shut down the course and alleged that they had received complaints about it. The PSM believes political opponents are behind the complaints and has issued a public statement which we've posted to our website. This attack on political organising isn't new in Malaysia and demonstrates yet another reason why, as workers, we must unite internationally against all forms of repression uh, and against uh, the repression that is against our efforts to organise. And in Hong Kong, the city of Hong Kong has around 300,000 domestic workers, mainly women, from Indonesia and the Philippines. A new report has found that the working conditions for many of them is still very oppressive, with as many as 50,000 domestic workers working in conditions of forced labour. Unfortunately, this is not a new problem. It's one that has existed for some years and only through the right of residency and the ability to join unions will conditions improve for these workers. And while we will continue to bring you news of the constant reports that are being issued about working conditions for domestic workers. And while these reports reveal nothing new for us as activists anyway, it is still necessary to talk about the fact that this is a continuing issue and we must organise internationally in relation to the export of labour into domestic work. In India, a recent report on factories in Udyog, Vihar and Haryana state reveals that companies exploit the fact that the workers are new to the industry and still have some families and land in the villages to enforce long workdays and peace work rates. In addition, most workers are also exploited by landlords as they are dependent on them for accommodation and food. While India does not have a garment sector as big as Cambodia and Bangladesh, workers employed in it are still subject to the brutal race to the bottom in terms of wages and conditions that major companies engage in. I will post those two reports to our website so that you can access them if you're interested in further details related to that.
But that is all we've got time for for news from around the region. I'm going to go to some community announcements and then that um, speech delivered last night by Farah Kobasi, a Lebanese activist from an organisation called The Social Forum. If People Powered Radio exhibition is on now, get along to Gertrude Contemporary Gallery and enjoy this exciting collaboration. The exhibition features recordings, technological hardware, photos, ephemera and newly commissioned artworks by local artists which frame and interpret the station's history of radical broadcasting. A series of live broadcasts are happening every Friday in April, direct from the exhibition space, talking sovereignty, troublemaking and music. Come and explore the politics of broadcasting, the experience of community and the station's radical history with Gertrude Contemporary Gallery and Art Space. 200 Gertrude Street, Fitzroy, open Tuesdays to Saturdays from 11am. Exhibition finishes April 23rd. For more information, visit 3cr.org.au. This Easter weekend plays host to the Marxism Conference, Australia's largest left-wing conference. It is an absolutely not-to-be-missed political event. As in previous years, over a thousand lefties are expected to congregate at the Victorian College of the Arts in what is a celebration of struggle against the system. The Marxism Conference has over a hundred sessions of left-wing discussion and debates on every issue under the sun. There will be guest speakers from every corner of the globe, such as longtime Indigenous activist Gary Foley, Mandla Nikosi, who was part of the struggle against South African apartheid, pro-Palestinian journalist Ali Abunima and Ramzi Baroud, American socialist Kerry Pearson-Smith, who was part of the movement against police brutality on African Americans, and so much more. The conference also involves a left-wing film festival and two art exhibitions. Make sure to have a look at the interactive program and grab your tickets at marxismconference.org. A 3CR supporter. Yes, indeed, get along to the Marxism Conference. It's still running over the course of this weekend. Uh, You've still got all day Saturday and Sunday um, to listen to some really great left-wing and socialist conversations. Um, our The feature interview or story for Asia Pacific Currents this morning is one of the guests at that Marxism conference, that is Farah Kubesi. So here is that discussion. I was in Cairo uh, doing my research on labour protests um, when on the, the 25th of January uh, revolution started. It was an amazing, um, an amazement to see and to be, to be part of this historical moment which um, effects spread out throughout the region, as you all know. It gathered a lot of enthusiasm and hope. There were a moment of con- consensus among the left um, and democratic forces uh, in the region, uh, liberals and nationalists, about the need to topple the uh, regime in, e- in Egypt. But when people in Syria took, uh, took to the streets for the same demands, social justice, freedom, and dignity, 
as the pe people in Tunisia, as the people in Egypt, as the people in Libya, as the people in Yemen, as the people in Bahrain did before them, this consensus ended. People in Syria were told that they were told that you need to shut up because Assad regime is going to liberate Palestine. Of course, Palestine was always used in the discourse and underlined discourse of the Arab regimes as a mean to silence all voices of dissent under the pretext that there is a bigger fight and a bigger enemy. U.S. imperialism and colonialism. As for social justice and freedom, these are secondary issues um, that might materialize when the final defeat of imperialism and colonialism is accomplished. Many leftist forces fell uh, prey of the Syrian regime propaganda that portrayed itself as anti-imperialist, not because, God forbid, they are stupid or anything, but because the nationalist or Stalinist left, left lacks the analytical tools that sees national liberation, liberation struggle as part and parcel of social liberation. Through their nationalist analytical prism, they are not able to see that social liberation and national liberation are not two separate domains. That national liberation cannot take place outside of class struggle, but it is the consequence and or the outcome of the struggle. Um, this traditional left has aligned itself with the regimes from the very beginning of uh, the revolution. It called it a U.S. conspiracy against the axis of resistance, which includes Iran, Hezbollah, and the Syrian regime, and then later Russia was added to this axis. So, so was the position of uh, so many uh, on the international left. This left is supposed to provide us at least an answer to the following problematic. Can the struggle against Zionism and imperialism be resolved and won within the context of the current Arab regimes? The response is so obvious, and in front, it's in front of us. Palestine will not be liberated by relying on regimes that will abandon any project that clashes with their bourgeois hegemonic interests. When the Palestinian liberation movement was at its peak in the 1970s, it had clashed objectively, not only with the Israeli entity, but it clashed directly with the Arab regimes. And some of you might recall the massacre um, that took place on what later was called uh, the Black September in Jordan. During the Second Intifada in Palestine, our comrades in Egypt raised the slogan that said, the road to the, to the liberation of Palestine passes through Cairo, which means that it passes by the overthrow of Mubarak and the Camp David regime. In Lebanon, we raised the same clause, uh, slogan, but we added to it. We said that the, the road to the liberation of Palestine passes through all the Arab capitals which means by the overthrow of the 
regimes, Assad regime included, can never ever lead a liberation struggle. And the left who has any bet on this is as delusional as the international left who depends and stands alongside an imperial power against, uh, who is in competition uh, 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 with another imperial power and try to convince us that this will lead to our liberation. In response to this, we say that we don't want any imperial force to save us. They have saved us enough for 100 years. <laughs> and that the people in struggle know well their way. And this is, by the way, a, um, a slogan that was raised in one of the protests in Syria. It says, the Syrian people know their way. This was, for me, a necessary introduction. But as Lenin says, let's begin from the beginning. Why people took to the streets in Syria and the Arab region in the first place? Sometimes we tend to forget. With all the news coming out around civil war, refugees crisis, destruction, ISIS, etc., that people have demands. This is one of the ways in which media tend to silence the voices of the people in struggle. The Syrian revolution is part and parcel of the revolutionary process of the region, which is based on the will of freedom and dignity in the absence of democracy and increasing social inequalities and corruption of the elites. The underlying reasons drawing people into streets were deeply connected to forms of capitalism in the region. Decades of economic restructuring, the impact of global crisis, and the ways in which Arab states were governed, governed by military rules. This meant that the profound issues facing the Arab world will never be solved through the simple removal of one dictator. It's not through uh, by, by removing Mubarak that um, the regime will change, okay? We, we got ECC instead. In Syria, the, the Assad regime policies were totally led by neoliberal dynamics. The private sector became the main agent of investment and employment since 2000. Rami Makhlouf, the Syrian among you know him very well, the cousin of Bashar al-Assad represented the mafia-style process of privatization led by the regime, which created new monopolies in the hand of the ruling family. Just to give you some figures, in 2007, the percentage of Syrians living below the poverty line was 33%, around 7 million. 30% living above this line, slightly above this line. The proportion of poor people in rural areas is higher than urban areas with 62%. For those who saw the Syrian revolution as an intifada of the rural areas, I second their theory to a large extent. People in rural areas have been dispossessed and alienated from their lands to be exploited by big agribusiness uh, companies. Um, Comrade Joseph Doher from Syria says that land was increasingly concentrated in a small number of hands. 
he mentions the front line of a satirical uh, newspaper who published the following. After four, 40, 43 years of the Ba'ath socialism, feudalism has returned. It was to prevent any challenge to polit political and economic structures that elites supported by Western powers and their regional allies quickly stepped in and attempted to quash the possibility of change. Syria was intended to be the grave of the Arab revolutions. For instance, Sisi in Egypt is known for using Syria's example in order to silence dissent. He said on many occasions, those who oppose him want to implement the Syrian and Iraqi models they want to bring chaos to Egypt. When the Syrian uprising started, the Assad regime did everything it could to prevent its democratic, secular, non-sectarian potential from developing. This was indeed the major threat in the regime's eye. Assad said, it's either me or else I will burn the whole country. It crushed the movement most brutally imprisoned tens of thousands of mostly young people who had been the uprising organizing force and did everything to create the conditions for Islamic fundamentalists to grow in Syria so as to alter the character of the uprising. It relied increasingly for its defense on Iran's re regional proxies from Lebanon and Iraq, which are certainly no less Islamic fundamentalists than the majority of Syrian Islamic anti-Assad forces. Those who claim that the Syrian regime is secular completely overlook this obvious fact. Add to this the very active involvement of the regional counter-revolutionary stronghold represented by the Gulf oil monarchies, which uh, did their best to strengthen the Islamic fundamentalist component of the Syrian opposition at the expenses of anything else. Because a real democratic uprising is the major threat to them. So it is for Assad. In an indirect way, they concurred with the Assad regime in promoting the Islamic fundamentalist group as the detriment of the secular democratic opposition. Religious fundamentalist movements were above all increasingly present in the militarization of the revolution in armed groups, Daesh appeared in Syria uh, in, the, in autumn 2013. ISIS was irrelevant uh, to the first phase of, the, of these uprisings. As argued by Adam Hamie, as the counter-revolution began to gain terrain, ISIS and other Islamist reactionary groups emerged as a consequence of apparent retreat in the revolutionary process. Hence, the only possible way to get rid of ISIS and al-Nusra, al-Qaeda, is by removing the causes that lead people to join them, and the main reason that allows them to develop is the continu continued existence of the Assad regime. The rise of ISIS was the biggest, biggest favor, actually, for Assad. Now he, has, he was able to promote itself as the enlightened, moderate, 
ruler who is fighting extremism and terrorism, and he's a protector of the religious uh, and ethnic minorities such as Kurds, Assyrians, Maronites, Druze, against the Sunni Takfiris. However, if Islamic forces manage to become dominant among the organized forces, it is surely, above all, because they are the product of rule by a despotic regime. There must be no delusion about that. The Syrian regime was not a shield against Islamic fundamentalism, nor was Saddam Hussein. These regimes laid the perfect ground for the, the perfect ground, ground it's not coming, for such groups to emerge. <laughs> During the partial truce, Syrian revolutionaries returned to the streets for mass protests and rebel heard areas of the country for the first time since 2013 under the, the slogan, the revolution continues. They reasserted their central demand the downfall of the regime, social justice, freedom, and dignity. The display of resilience by Syrian revolutionaries and overwhelmingly under difficult conditions came in the face of all those who declared the Syrian revolution as jihadists. The peaceful protests in the liberated areas clashed with al-Nusra, al-Qaeda. In Idlib, protesters went went to Nusra uh, headquarters and liberated the protesters who were detained by it, they sent a clear message that people will rise against all those who oppress them from Nusra down to Assad. Syrians might find way, or should find way, to reforce solidarity across religious and ethnic lines especially that the regime is playing so much on these differences. The recognition of the right for Kurdish people to self-determination cannot be neglected anymore. Kurdish in Syria should, should be or should have a place in the democratic and free Syria we all aim for, and that the historical injustice that has been practiced against them must be recognized. Finally, the Syrian people continue to fight despite all what happened, despite the mass killings, half a million of people, tens of thousands of imprisoned, thousands of disappeared, millions of refugees. But people went back to occupy the streets and chants. We saw them dancing in the squares that their bodies reclaimed, dancing as a revolt against and to mock a dictator dancing to challenge the death and destruction, destruction machine, there's no demonstration of human resilience that can be more beautiful than that. Thank you. You're listening to 3CR. This is Billy X. Jennings of the Black Panther Party, Power to the People. That's right, power to the people. Billy X Jennings was a special guest at Marxism some years ago. And, of course, you were just listening to Farah Kubasi, who is this year's, one of this year's guests at uh, the Marxism conference.
Just before the end of the program, I do want to announce some activities that are coming up, um, particularly the anti-fascism or the campaign against racism. Fascism has organised another demonstration um, opposing the UPF and the other far right um, and fascist organisations that have developed here in Next Sunday at Federation Square, there is going to be an event. It's called Make Federation Square a Racist and Fascist Free Zone. It's at two o'clock uh, and it is a, it's a demonstration to say yes to refugees and no to Islamophobia. In fact, this one is not a counter-demonstration and the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism ordinarily organises counter-demonstrations. This one is to commemorate the start or arguably, the start of the most intensive part of this campaign. So last year on the 4th of April was that big demonstration at Fed Square uh, where the UPF actually consolidated and and came together and became an organisation. So that's a really important demonstration. Try to get to it if you can next Sunday, the 3rd of April at 2 o'clock at Federation Square. That's all we've got time for on Asia Pacific Currents this morning. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will be back or I will be back next Saturday morning from 9 o'clock with more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region. I'm Giselle Hanna. Again, thank you for tuning in and stay tuned. Coming up next is Palestine Remembered. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.